0: Today's scripture reading speaks of God's law and is taken from several Old Testament passages and from Jesus' words found in Matthew five, seventeen through 20 Hear the word of the Lord. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. The law of the Lord is perfect. "'Refreshing the soul, the statutes of the Lord "'are trustworthy, making wise the simple. "'The law from your mouth is more precious to me "'than thousands of pieces of gold, silver and gold. "'Oh, how I love your law, I meditate on it all day long. "'This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel "'after that time, declares the Lord. "'I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts.' I will be their God, and they will be my people. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you are here with us right now. We ask that you would give us ears to hear your voice this morning. Help us to experience Your presence here and to walk out of here different because we've stood in the presence of the living God. Lord, this morning we pray for churches surrounding us and we ask Your blessing on their services and we thank You for their presence in our community. Uh, Lord, today I lift up also uh, different ministries in our area. We think of Reformed University Fellowship at UNCC, of campus outreach and our varsity over there, and we thank You for the work that is being done at UNCC's campus, and also up at Davidson. Lord, we thank you for Young Life and its presence in our schools. We ask your blessing upon all the ministers and leaders there. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to let your word go forth, that young people, whether in high school or college, would know the hope that is found only in you, Jesus. Lord, those who are serving, may you grant them joy in their labors and sustain them and Lord, may, uh, may we be a church that supports them well. Jesus, we pray that You would open this Word to us now, Your Word, and glorify only Your name as we have sung already. For it's in Your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> if you live through the 1970s, you will be able to complete this statement. When E.F. Hutton talks... People listen, right, you remember that, you know, and they, they revitalized those commercials. I remember as a kid seeing those commercials, and I thought, I want to know what E.F. Hutton says. Does he give more than stock advice? Can he counsel me on relationships, things like that? Because obviously, you know, it's a, it a very simple slogan, but quite effective. When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. And I use that because I think it summarizes somewhat well the theme of our new series, because today, as Doug mentioned, we're beginning a new sermon series that we are calling When Jesus Says Amen. That's the Greek for Amen, Alpha, Mu, Eta, Nu there, as you can see on the screens. And when you're reading your Bible, you won't see Amen typically listed, as Doug mentioned already. will If you're reading the King James, it'll say, Verily. If you're reading other translations, typically that amen is translated as truly. Uh, I think that's somewhat unfortunate. I wish that they had retained the amen in different ways just because we've retained other words like hosanna and hallelujah without having to shift their meaning. And and, and if we kept the amen, I think these passages would stand out for us. So what we're going to do between now and Easter is we're going to look at these passages where Jesus says, Amen. And the reason why we would do a series on that is because when Jesus says, Amen, we need to listen. Amen on Jesus' lips should make us, as I tell my kids, sit up straight, pay attention, because He's about to tell us something very important. Uh, New Testament scholar Dale Frederick Dale Bruner says, And amen I want to tell you, that's how it's often phrased, truly I want to tell you or verily I want to tell you, from Jesus carries the highest authority. And hearers may underline what Jesus says after it. The Jewish amen was usually spoken at the end of prayers or affirmations, just like we do. We close almost every prayer, it's a carryover from praying as the Jews prayed, ending a prayer with amen, truly So let it be done, verily, that kind of a thing. But it's a curiosity of Jesus' speech that his amen always appears at the beginning of his remarks, where it carries strange authority. And you can look and see how amen is used in the New Testament. You'll see that if Peter uses it, it comes at the end of a prayer. If other of the apostles or disciples or Scripture writers use it, it comes at the end. But Jesus, it's unique, He doesn't end with an amen. He starts with one. It's it's kind of like a glowing sign saying, okay, what comes next is really important. It's like an exclamation point. And so the series, you know, of course, all that Jesus says is important. But when he says amen, and then if he says amen, amen, because he does that several times too, it's really important. So, we're going to look at these passages where Jesus uses this word to tell us something rather important. We should listen well. Now, today's amen comes in verse 18. This is the very first time in Matthew's gospel that you will see this. And so, I put it here the way it would appear in the Greek. You know, your translation will say truly or verily, but amen, I want to tell you. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, as we get into this, what I'm going to be talking about this morning is, as Jesus refers to here, the law, but He begins in verse 17, He says, I've not come to abolish the law or the prophets. Just know that that was a simple way of saying Scripture. Yeah, okay, so Jesus, when he refers to law and prophets, it's just a, it's a very easy way of saying, so you could say this is referring to the whole Bible, all right? Um, and actually, I wish we would sometimes refer to the Older Testament as Jesus' Bible. We might read it a little differently because that was Jesus' Bible. The amen here using it with a law. So today, I'll say law sometimes. If you want to think of this, so verse 17, he's talking about all of Scripture. Verse 18 here, he's now specifically talking about the law, and you can just think about the law this way. In one sense, all of Scripture is law in one sense, but he's particularly referring to passages, places where the Word of God is directly impacting our lives, the most famous of these would be the Ten Commandments, but it's not just limited to the Ten Commandments. There's law. So he's referring to the entirety of the law of God. And that's what he's referring to here when he says all of it. So if you want to go and you read the book of Deuteronomy or Exodus, you can find the law and you'll find it in many other places in the Old Testament. But when he, So when he refers to law here, he's actually referring to all of it. And what he says, his emphasis is this, I tell you, amen until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke. Not a jot, not an iota will disappear by any means from it until the universe is remade. So basically, here's his emphasis. The law is really, really important. It was important to Jesus. It should be important to us. And Christians get really confused about the law of God in different ways. John Newton, that name may, may ring a bell to you, because he's he was a well-known slave trader in England who became a Christian and left all that behind. He's the writer of the famous hymn "Amazing Grace" and many other hymns that we sing today. Not only was John Newton a person who uh, saved by grace, became a great Christian and and worker. In England, he was also a great spiritual counselor to many people. People would regularly go to Newton for advice on life in different ways. And so in his correspondence, in one of his letters, he writes this to somebody he was counseling. He says, "Uh," I fast-forwarded it, ignorance of the nature and design of the law is at the bottom of most of our religious mistakes. You see, Newton knew the law of God was important. And Christians get really confused over this. What role does God's law actually take in our lives? That's why Jesus' words here in Matthew 5, I think, are so important. And so I'll I'll give you a, a heads up. This will start, in a sense, very hard. Stay with me in different ways, okay, because it all goes together. So don't check out early as we're going over this. But, you know, the law of God, it does many things. If you think about what role does the law play, well, one, you know this, the law of God shows us just how holy God is. You know, it reveals God's character and personhood to us in many different ways. The law of God also, sometimes it's referred to as a mirror, where we look in the mirror of the law of God and we say, God is really holy and I'm not so holy. And so what the law is meant to do is that mirror. It is not just meant to make us feel guilt and ashamed, even though if you feel guilty, it's the law doing that. You know, God's law is meant to produce a right kind of guilt within people. We don't measure up. We're not as good as we want to pretend we are or how we fake it to each other. And what it's meant to do is not just to heap shame on us, but as we see how bad we are in light of the law, it's meant to make us run to the cross for mercy and grace. The law also, it's it's a great way of helping us avoid the landmines in life. You can think of it this way. God made the universe to work in a certain way, and God's law reflects that. And so the law is given to us, and the more we live by it, the more we will avoid catastrophic hurt in life. So when God's Word tells you, honor your marriage, and in honoring your marriage, don't commit adultery, that's a landmine. I'm not saying there's not forgiveness But there's a landmine there that will cause hurt among many different people. And so you don't have to step on that if you will follow God's Word in different ways. It helps us avoid things like that. Now, you may be thinking, okay, but I'm with Paul on this one. I'm not under law. I'm under grace. Okay. Just know that Paul was with Jesus on this. (laughs) So they're not speaking contrary to each other. And so, if you're thinking, well, I'm not under law, I'm under grace, what you mean by that is actually very important. Because if you mean this, well, the God of the Older Testament is different from the God of the Newer Testament. You see, the God of the Older Testament was angry, and there was wrath, and there was condemnation, and the God of the New Testament is a God of love and mercy and grace. What you're saying is God is schizophrenic. He is not. There is one God, and grace is woven throughout Scripture, backwards and forwards. So if you mean I'm under grace, not under law, and you're trying to divide God's Word, ah, I wouldn't go there. Sometimes Christians will say, well, I'm not under law, I'm under grace, and here's what they mean. I can do whatever I want. Isn't it great? We're not under the law. We've been set free from the law, and so now we can go live any way we want. Go sin, and sin big, and sin bold, because you know what? There's grace. There is grace, but that attitude is not reflecting what Jesus or Paul is saying. You know, sometimes it's like the old ditty, free from the law, oh, blessed condition, I can sin as I please and still have remission. Meaning, yeah, go big, go sin, sin boldly, because God will forgive you anyway. We are not antinomians. We are not people who live morally loose lives because of grace. You see, Paul, I think, summarizes this quite well in Romans chapter 3 when he says, Do we then nullify the law? By this faith, talking about faith in Jesus Christ, not at all, rather, we uphold the law. So so you can't say that the law and grace are at odds, or Jesus and Moses are at odds, or Jesus and Paul are at odds. No. When Jesus says amen, he says the law matters even today. It has not changed at all. Uh, Imagine with me, say today, somewhere in Europe, all the legislatures of all the nations gathered together and had a big summit, and they voted unanimously at this meeting that from here on out, fire no longer burns. All right. So all the nations, all the legislatures of all the countries of the world have said unanimously, fire has changed. Well, you know what? The first man or woman who goes and puts his or her hand in the fire is going to quickly discover the law of the fire hasn't changed just because someone told me it's changed. You see, bound up in the nature of fire itself is the penalty for abusing it so the law of God is just like the law of fire. You never break God's laws technically. What you do is you break yourself on them. And Jesus is emphasizing, truly, amen. I tell you, even the smallest details of the law are important. We need to pay attention to this amen, because Jesus is saying, I want you to know and love the law in the same way that I know and love the law. So, that's his emphasis, is that God's law really matters. And what he does in verse 17 before this amen and in verses 19 and 20 after this amen, he gives us some ways to apply that emphasis. And so, we'll start with verse 19. Related to this, Jesus follows it by giving us a warning. Therefore, Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaching teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I think it's safe to summarize the warning this way. If you minimize God's word, watch out. Watch out. It is fair to say, because commentators all kind of agreed on this, that greatness in the kingdom of God, as Jesus is defining it here, is measured by our conformity to the law of God. You want to be great in God's kingdom? Honor His word. And to set it aside, as he says here, therefore anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments, thats translated different ways. Sometimes it's set aside, sometimes it's translated relax. I mean, you just kind of loosen it a little bit. What it's referring to is you're kind of saying this doesn't have to hold so firmly over your conscience. Relax a little. Yeah, this is pretty strict, but you can lighten up because the law has lightened up. God has kind of changed this. And Jesus is saying, "Uh uh-uh, the law doesn't change. And if you loosen it, watch out. It's kind of the, one of the scariest verses to me as doing my line of work is James 3.1. Therefore, you know, don't, don't teach. And if you do teach, know that you're going to be judged much more severely. It's like, oh, great. And that verse makes me want to retire anytime I really start thinking about it. And I'll go pump gas or something because that's, that's heavy, But that's exactly what Jesus is saying here for all of his people, not just teachers. Anyone who claims the name of Jesus, who would say, taking his word and the law and sets aside, loosens, relaxes these commands, and teaches others, oh, don't worry about that. That was then, this is now. Watch out. It's a strong warning. Because Jesus is saying that our attitude to the law of God is actually an, an index of our attitude to God himself. If we treat the law lightly and encourage others to do the same, what we're showing is that we really are strangers to grace. You know this if you've been at Stonebridge. The law is not the basis by which we merit salvation. Okay? Okay? None of us can keep the law perfectly. That's what it would take. And you don't get on God's better side by keeping it better. It doesn't save us. We know that. But the law does provide a real test for us. And it's a real test of whether or not we've been born again. And it's a pretty simple test because basically if you've been born again, you have a new heart given to you by God and that new heart loves the thing God loves. It loves his word. Those psalms and other passages that Josh read a few moments ago, that's the heart of somebody saved by grace. I love your law, O word, O Lord. I meditate on it day and night. It's more precious to me than silver or gold. That's what happens in a person who has been saved by grace. And you know what? We can fake it, and we can, we can show a pretense of keeping the law. After a while, that's going to fall away because you just can't keep doing it in your own strength. And so what Jesus is kind of saying here is, I think it's fair to say this. In verse 19, he's saying, you can't pick or choose what you like and what you don't like, and that's what we all want to do. You realize that. You know, One of the great things of Internet technology is the gift of Pandora Radio. And I use Pandora just because it was one of the earliest ones. Maybe you listen to Spotify or iHeartRadio, but they're all the same because you know this has set us free, people. Because, you know, when you're, when you're stuck in listening to FM or AM or even satellite radio, if you don't like the song, you can turn the station. But you've got to change the station and hope that another station is playing something you like. Not so with Pandora radio because now you can create a station yourself that's all built around your personal preferences. It's an amazing thing because you, what you do is you go in and you say, I want to create a station and so I'm going to create a Metallica radio station. <laughs> and now what Pandora Radio does, it says, okay, well, if you've created this radio station, it must mean you like a certain type of sound. And there are algorithms that are running constantly. And so what happens, a song comes up, one by Metallica comes up, and it's saying, okay, well, this song has a front man leading, it's got a double kick bass drum, which is just thumping, it's got antiphonal sound back and forth, it's got repeated patterns, and you get to, as you're listening to this song, at any point, you'll see at the bottom there, there's a thumbs up and a thumbs down. And you, at any point in the song, you click thumbs up. What you have just done is you've sent a message to the algorithm saying, oh, yeah, this is good stuff. And now it's going to say, I'm going to get more songs that sound like this one, you know? And then if something else comes up, you know... Um, I, I won't even say what, but, you know, you get it, and, you know, I don't like that, thumbs down, okay, ditch that, and it's, you don't even have to listen to the rest of the song. It stops immediately and moves on and gives you another song to judge right now. It's a beautiful thing. It has set, you know, it has set us free in so many ways, but here's the problem with it. Uh, we kind of come and create Pandora's Scripture, or Spotify scripture, and, and, and the whole thumbs up, thumbs down thing, this is how we approach it. Okay, Jesus says he loves me. All right. <laughs> Jesus says I can't look at another woman lustfully. Uh, uh, I don't know about that one. Jesus says he will forgive me of all my sins. That's good stuff. Thumbs up. Jesus says, now go and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I don't know. There's no sideways, thumb, but you know, you get the idea. What what this does, it's almost like we have an internal algorithm in our lives whereby we, we approach scripture and we say, okay, I'm gonna decide right here whether this is a thumbs up or thumbs down. Got of the New Testament, thumbs up, got of the Old Testament down, you know. This is useful, thumbs up. Well, I'm kind of embarrassed by that passage, thumbs down. Jesus is saying we don't have that luxury. In an age where customization of lifestyle and belief has become the norm, cuz that's what our culture tells us. You can customize your lifestyle, you can customize your belief any way you want it. That's the norm now we approach the Bible that way. It's like we have our own internal algorithm running all the time, sorting through and processing all the biblical data. Yes, no. And Jesus warns us against thinking that way at any level. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen has changed, he said. Mal McSwain was a leader of Young Life, In California and in other places, pretty well-known guy. And he used to, when he would have his staff come in, he would do training with them. And one of the things he was known to say quite regularly, he paraphrased Augustine in this, but he would say, if you believe what you like in the Bible, you really don't believe the Bible, you believe yourself. That is so true. You see, our culture will say This doesn't have to be your authority in life. This doesn't have to tell you. You you can decide for yourself. You don't have to follow what this says about money. You don't have to follow what this says about sexuality. You don't have to follow what this says about who you forgive and how often you forgive. If somebody really hurts you, you have a right to bitterness and holding on to that bitterness for a really long period of time. You don't have to do what this says about ministering to widows and orphans and those in prison. You can ignore that if you want to. You don't have to do what is just by these words because our society will tell you what's just. You see, what this gets at is what has authority in your life. Is it the news? God forbid Is it politicians? God forbid. Is it your own internal compass? God forbid. There is something that is eternal, that has authority, that we submit to. That's what Jesus is getting at. Jesus gives us a warning. He also gives us a surprise. Verse 20, he says, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And this statement was like a punch into the face to his listeners. This is like me telling you today, authoritatively, brothers and sisters, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God unless you are more righteous than the Reverend Billy Graham himself. You, your righteousness, must exceed his. Because for the Jews, scribes, Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they were the creme de la creme. You see, the, the scribes were executors of legal documents, those most knowledgeable in God's Word. They were the ones who taught children. And if you were really good at teaching, then you got to become a rabbi and you could even teach adults. Those were the scribes. You could liken scribes to professional religious people, seminary teachers, pastors, things like that. And Pharisees, those were the most religious of all the lay people. They weren't formally trained necessarily, but they loved God's Word and they knew it well and they sought to live by it. And there was a saying at that time that went this way, if there are only two men allowed to enter heaven then one will certainly be a teacher of the law, a scribe, and the other will certainly be a Pharisee. See, at that time, those were the only people who really had a shot. And Jesus says, you have to be more righteous than them. This is staggering. And we say, I know, because you grew up in church, some of you, well, they were a bunch of hypocrites. Don't jump there. Yeah, Jesus challenged them. And why did he beat on them so much? It's because you don't beat a dead horse. You know, there's, there's, you can steer a horse that's still alive. He's trying to redirect them in different ways. These were people just like Stonebridge, my friends. They would have been the conservatives, not, not politically, they would have been the conservatives of what it meant to be a follower after God. They believed in things like miracles. They held to the authority of God's Word. They said, we are called to follow it, not just whatever we or our Roman captors say. So what in the world does Jesus mean? What he's getting at, the shortest way to say it is, if you really poke them, you'll see that their righteousness is only skin deep. They have great outward conformity to the law, but there's no real deep, heartfelt love of it. You see, and Jesus is saying your righteousness has got to be deeper than just a mere outward conformity to the law. He's talking about a changed heart, a changed life. It's what some of the passages say, Jeremiah 31, I'll put my law in their minds and I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. What that is saying is there's going to meant to be a love relationship Ezekiel 36, I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I see, having Holy Spirit doesn't mean that we disregard the law because spirit and law go together in this way. Holy Spirit literally writes God's law on our hearts so that we love what God loves. Craig Keener writes this. He says, the kingdom grace Jesus proclaimed was not the workless grace of much of Western Christianity. In the Gospels, the kingdom message transforms those who meekly embrace it just as it crushes the arrogant, the religiously and socially satisfied. Jesus gives us a great surprise, your righteousness. But here, now I've told you this is heavy, 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 Jesus, you know, you're saying, well, I wish you had started this way because Jesus started this way. He started with a gift, and I want to end with that. Verse 17, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Fulfill is the word I want to focus on here. It means many things. Most simply translated, what fulfill means means to raise up. It's the exact same verb used for resurrection So in a sense, Jesus is saying, I am going to resurrect the law. I'm going to fill it to its full. And here's what he's getting at in a couple of ways. One, he's going to bring out, he's going to resurrect the real meaning of it. You know, the Pharisees, they taught, don't have an affair. Right after this, you know what Jesus says? You've been told, don't do this. Here's what I tell you. Even if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. That is Jesus filling up the law, bringing out its true intention. You see what the Pharisees had done, you could say almost like this. They had built a cage around the law, tamed it in many different ways, and what Jesus now does is he lets that animal out of its cage, where now the law doesn't just judge our outward conformity, it judges our thoughts It judges our attitudes. It judges our motivations in different ways. Jesus has set the animal free. And that's a good thing. But that's not the only way he fulfills it. Here's the other way. He fulfills the law by his life. And this is the gift. You know, if we go and we study this apart from Jesus, you will find I can't keep this. There's no way. I am incapable of... In and of myself to do this. And if you stay there, you will feel guilty and you will live in shame and defeat your whole life. The gift Jesus gives us is this I have come to do for you what you couldn't do. I have come to fulfill the law by living it perfectly myself. You see, when Jesus walked this earth, he lived perfectly in conformity to God's word. And when he died on the cross, he died as a 100% innocent individual. And what happened on the cross was your sin, my sin, all the ways that we fall short of it, that got placed on him. So, you know what, men? When you look at pornography, Jesus became a pornographer on the cross. When you harbor hatred in your heart, Jesus became a hater because our sin was placed on him, the sinless one. And you know what happens when you place your faith in him? His righteousness is credited to you. You are robed in his righteousness. He has fulfilled it, and that's the gift. You know what? We're all going to struggle with the law. And when we struggle, what we do is we run to him. Sometimes people will teach God's Word this way, this is a holy book, you were called to be holy, and if you're not, you should feel really guilty, and you should work really hard, and maybe, just maybe, God will show you love. You know what that is? It's legalism, it's Phariseeism, I think it's something from hell, because <laughs> it's works righteousness. The gospel is this, you know what? God is really holy. And if you look at this, you're not. But the good news is that He was. And now by faith in Him, you are too. We're still going to sin. You know what? This afternoon, I I bet you, you're going to blow it in some way. Maybe it's small. You're going to screw it up because we all do. Go home with Dave. You just watch him. He'll screw it up today. Here's the good news. When you screw it up, and we all will, you don't just, oh, woe is me, and you flagellate yourself and live in shame. You run to the cross. You run to the cross because that's the gift of what Jesus has done. He has fulfilled the law so that you can live in him. Brief application here. May we love God's word the way Jesus loved it. My prayer is that we might make it a goal that we would become a personal translation of Scripture. So when people see our lives, they see God's Word. You know, seek obedience, not to get on God's good side, but because you are already justified. Pray for Holy Spirit to continue writing God's law in your heart that you might love it and walk with Him. And remember this, and when you fail, as we all will, run to Him. He loves you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You. We thank You for Your grace and Your mercy and Your forgiveness. May we love Your law the way You loved it. Lord Jesus, forgive us for the ways we're tempted to lessen it or or minimize it. Lord, let us honor it. Let us honor You. Lord Jesus, I pray that You would continue to let Your Word be loved and respected and have its authority in our lives as You call it to. All for Your glory, we pray. Amen.